0: Well, good morning. Good morning. I hope you have all had a great long weekend so far, uh, in part because I genuinely hope you've had a great long weekend so far, but also because hope is the very thing that we are talking about today as we uh, journey through this sermon series. Now, the word hope is used in a lot of different ways. I'm sure if you were to pause and think back about the different sentences that you've used the word hope in, you'd come up with quite a few different scenarios, I imagine most of us have thought or said the words at some point, I hope I make it through this light. Even the yellow one will do the trick. I'll just speed up a little bit, right? Some of us are more guilty of that than others. I'm sure at some point we've all said, well, I hope this tastes okay as we're making dinner. While the rest of the family is thinking, I hope it doesn't because then we can skip the dishes and we can order exactly what we each want to have. Perhaps you've used the word hope in the past thinking of the Eskimos. But we know that hope was lost on Edmonton Eskimos a couple of weeks back. So that leads me to wonder, I'm curious, is anybody here hoping for the riders today? No? They all went home. I guess they all went home from Saskatchewan for the, for the weekend. That's fine. But there are a lot of people. Oh, there's one in the back. Okay. So there's always got to be one in the crowd who's hoping for the riders, no matter where you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, hope is also, a, it's not just a word that we use at times. Hope is actually also a place. Maybe some of you are familiar, Hope, Hope, BC is an actual place that exists. Uh, if you've been to the Lower Mainland or if you've been driving towards the Lower Mainland uh, in the Vancouver area at any point, you'll find that there's this small town, about 6,000 people, called Hope. Now, no matter where you're coming from, if you're coming through the Fraser Canyon, if you are coming through the Coquihalla Freeway, if you are coming through the Kootenays, all three of those kind of converge at a point, and you end up in the town of Hope. And then from Hope, you continue on to Vancouver. Now, regardless of what three of those directions you come from, you spend about an hour and a half of pretty much nothing from your last destination till you get to Hope. About an hour and a half of driving, and all three of those converge in that one place. This is a trip that uh, my family and I used to make quite often when we lived in B.C., And I remember this one time in particular, we are driving down the Coquihalla Highway, down the freeway through the Rocky Mountains towards this area. Uh, Beautiful scenery, beautiful highway, um, cement barriers the whole way along. And so there's not a lot of places to stop until you get to Hope. And partway along, we're about 20 minutes out of Hope. And our son Samuel, who was about eight at the time, says, as many of us parents have heard at some point during a road trip, I have to pee! All of a sudden... And so I'm thinking, and so I just did the dad thing. Hold on, Sam. We're almost there. (laughs) And so at that point, there were a few different types of hope taking place in the vehicle at that moment. There were some people in the vehicle, for them, hope was a location on the map. Hope was the answer to the question, are we there yet? It's the place we're traveling to. For me... Hope was, I hope I don't get a speeding ticket because I've just floored it to try to get there as quick as possible. I hope I don't have a mess to clean up when we eventually arrive there. And for Samuel, hope was a hope of deliverance, that he would just be able to get around the bend and that it truly would be a place called hope and he would be able to experience it for himself. You see, hope we use in a lot of different ways in our world. But whenever we use that word, it's always an indication that things are not presently exactly as we hoped they would be. That we're desiring or that we're wishing for something better than our current circumstances. There's a belief. It, it's, there's a belief inherent to hope. A belief that there is a better preferred option. A better preferred circumstance that's just on the horizon. For Sam, believe that dad said hope is just down the road. I hope it's around one more corner. I hope that bathroom will be glorious with chrome fixtures and perfectly clean and stocked toilet paper. That was the hope that Sam had in that particular moment, and he hoped he was going to make it. But the absence of hope, the absence of hope is what we refer to as despair. Despair is the absence of hope, where we believe that the current situation we find ourselves in is all that there absolutely is. And when we have that belief, it leads to a point of chaos and it can lead to fear, where that chaos and the fear is what prevails as opposed to the hope. The absence of hope is despair. And that can look like somebody who goes, well, it's just too far. I'm not going to make it. There is nothing over the hill. There is no hope. Why even bother trying? I can't hold it any longer. The absence of hope. I think this is something that we can all relate to. Uh, They're rushing down the highway to find a washroom part, but not just that. The... The hope aspect, as well, as something that we can all relate to. Because I think we could all agree that we live in a seemingly random, somewhat chaotic world. Where at times we can feel like we're losing hope. When we look at the news and the events that happen in our lives and the world around us. But here's the thing that we've been doing through this sermon series. If I can just tie a few pieces together for you as we've been journeying through this idea of, of hope with God. Of life with God. Of, of faith with God. You see, when we have a life with hope, it's this belief that what we are experiencing in the moment is not the whole story. That there's more yet to come. That the final chapter is not yet written. That we can turn the page. And we can have a life with hope, but it requires us to first have a life with faith. Faith that there is something greater. Faith that there is something more orderly that is beyond the circumstance that I'm currently in. And that happens When we begin with a life with God. A life with God where we see him as the greatest, most valuable aspect of our lives. And we see that he is the one who is the greatest treasure, who is certain, who can bring security. And when we find ourselves in a life with God, we then are in a point where everything else around us and in our life becomes secondary. And therefore nothing can steal the hope that he gives us in our lives. That is the result, is that when we have a life with God, we can experience a life with hope. Amen? Amen. And that's what we want to talk more about today. And I want to do so by first drawing your attention to a wonderful story that we find in the Gospel of Mark. We find this in Mark chapter 4. If you have your phones, you can turn there. If you want to follow along in a pew Bible, it's on page 815. But we see in this particular story an event that took place early on in the disciples' time with Jesus, when they're still trying to grow in their understanding of who he was and the impact and the power that his presence in their lives can have. And as they're trying to figure this out, in this particular event we're going to have a look at, we see that they're wrestling between hope and despair, between hope and despair, because they don't quite yet fully understand who Jesus is and what the difference is that he makes in a person's life. Now, just prior to this particular event, we're gonna have a look at, Jesus has been teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And, and as it's starting to happen, the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And this particular occasion, they got so big that it forced him that he had to go stand in a boat. And then they had to push the boat off the shore so that he was in the shallow waters in a boat, teaching all of the people who lined from, from the fields right up to the waters break against the shore. And so he's in this boat and he's teaching. He's talking to them about how we need to have fertile hearts that the the word of God can be planted in. And that when the word of God gets planted into a heart, that there's power that happens in being able to transform a person's whole being in in, in the here and now, but in their eternal destiny as well. Because he's saying when that happens, you can also go forward and you can let your light shine to the whole world so that they too can understand the difference that Jesus makes in a life. And he says, and guys, if you, if you feel like you're just too small, you're too insignificant, what can one person do? He, he talked about how the kingdom of God is like a small seed that when that's planted and it's allowed to grow, it grows branches and fruit and it can become this great, grand, massive thing as he speaks about the kingdom of God. So he's teaching about all of these things that can happen in their lives. And then evening comes. And when he finishes teaching, he says, hey guys, let, let's... Let's just go off to the other side. We're already in the boat. We're already in the lake. Let's just cast off to the other side of the lake. There's more people over there that we can talk with tomorrow. And so they do. And in verse, we get to Mark chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. It says, so let's go to the other side of the lake. And they press off and they with some other boats following them leave the crowd behind and they begin to sail across the water. Well, then we read in verse 36 that a furious squall came up. And waves are breaking over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus is in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. They're retreating from the crowd, from the pressures of the day. They're looking for an opportunity, Jesus in particular, just to kind of recharge his batteries to refresh and renew himself for the excitement of what's going to happen tomorrow. At staff meeting this week, we are kind of talking about how glorious Sunday afternoon naps were. And I think this is kind of the same thing that, that Jesus was experiencing. He's with this long day of teaching and, and helping and, and being amongst the people. And now we just need to have this, we just need this glorious nap for a little while to recharge for the next go around. It's been a long day. So Jesus goes to the back of the boat and he sleeps on a cushion. And to give you a bit of a sense of probably how tired he was, we read that word cushion and we imaginely think, okay, well, it's this soft plush kind of beanbag chair type thing that he would just sink into and sleep. But, but the word cushion actually is an unfortunate translation. More literally, uh, it should read sandbag, is, is more of what he fell asleep on. You see, what they would do on these boats, when they didn't have cargo to weight the bottom, they would fill it with, with bags of sand, this kind of a ballast to give it some stability. And that's actually what he's sleeping on. He crashes on a pile of sandbags, essentially. That's how tired he is. And the disciples are okay with this. Because like, you know what, Jesus, we're the sailors, you're the preacher, you go sleep and you recharge your batteries, we'll get us across the water here. You know what, Jesus, we'll wake you when we arrive. But suddenly this violent storm just overtakes the boat. And the guys, they know this is serious. They've been on the water their whole lives. These are fishermen, career fishermen. They know that this is a serious situation because this particular region and this particular body of water is susceptible to these types of phenomena. As the cold Mediterranean air comes through the narrow passes and clashes with the hot, humid air that comes up off the lake, it causes these powerful, violent storms that can very easily capsize boats. And there's many, many fishermen who know people who have lost their lives in just that type of storm so they are terrified of what's going on they're filled with fear about the storm that has now overtaken them and the water is coming into the boat and they're starting to sink and you can notice this contrast all of a sudden that takes place in the story where the disciples career fishermen are filled with fear because of the wind and the waves that are crashing against them contrasting that against Jesus who's peacefully at sleep in the back of the boat But I don't think he was just sleeping because of fatigue. I don't think it was just because of fatigue he was sleeping. See, I think Jesus knew something. I think Jesus had a trust and a hope that these guys lacked at this particular point of their journey. Because they wake Jesus up. And they said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? This wasn't a cry for help. This wasn't them saying, Jesus, save us. This was a cry of frustration. Of saying, Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you see we're about to die and you are doing nothing about it? Don't you care if we die? Don't you care if we drown? And the words of these men reveal that they are losing hope. That what they had in their own abilities, what they knew they could do as experienced men upon the water as fishermen, had reached its end. And all that they could see was the moment and the chaos and the wind and waves around them. And their belief had gone to the fact that that was what was going to prevail. And so in a state of despair, where they don't understand Jesus' rest, but they soon will. They soon will, because Jesus stands up. And he rebukes the waves, and he, and he rebukes the sea, and he says, Peace, be still. And like somebody flicked on a switch, the wind ceases, and there's a great calm that came over the sea. The sound of that gusting wave and the, and the pounding of the rain is replaced with silence, and the warmth of the sun starting to shine upon their wet skin again. And the stillness and the calmness that have come over the water, but, but not over their hearts. Because the disciples are now looking at each other, and they're saying to themselves, who Is this? Who is this? Their fear has shifted to now Jesus trying to understand. Who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. And Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Why are you so afraid? You see, the story for us demonstrates not only that Jesus is the Son of God not only that Jesus has the power and the sovereignty to control all of creation because he is the creator of all creation. Not only does that reveal who Jesus is. It also is an example of what life with hope and what life without hope in God looks like. Two contrasting examples. You see, we, we all go through storms. We all go through these times in our lives, these moments of crisis where, where fear seeps in, when uncertainty of what is around the corner comes to us. At times when we watch the news or we just replay the things that are going on in our own lives, and it feels like the world is in chaos. At, at times we can see these things coming, and, and if we're honest, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Like when you go out for the day to go shopping and you realize, I forgot to lock up the dog you know you're going to come home to garbage and laundry everywhere because that's what unlocked-up dogs do. We know times when you feel sick. You're like, oh, I'm not going to go to the doctor. My wife says I should go to the doctor. I'm not going to go to the doctor. I haven't got time to go to the doctor, right? But then eventually you get a little more sick, a little more sick. You go for tests, and surprise, the results come back positive. I remember when I was the first time that I went to uh, college, fresh out of high school. And at the time, to be honest, I, I wasn't very committed to the college work. I was very committed to the college life, but not to the college work <laughs> that goes with it. And I would spend a lot of my time around the school and around people meeting individuals and hanging out in the cafeteria and just just having fun. Until one day I was talking to this girl and she says, hey, you ready for the sociology midterm? I'm thinking, I know I'm enrolled in that class. Haven't been for a while. I said, um, Yeah, when's that? About 20 minutes, (laughs) she says. Oh, suddenly I'm in crisis (laughs) all of a sudden. Because now I realize that my whole identity of a college student is probably not going to work out anymore. And that the plans I had for where that was going to lead are not going to happen. And I had paid this tuition. I had to get the tuition back. And that was going to be a problem. And I have to go get a job. My life got thrown into chaos all of a sudden. I had no one to blame but myself. This is the first time my parents are hearing this story, by the way. So... (laughs) See, I couldn't blame anybody else myself. And if I was smart, I would have seen it coming. Other times, it it just comes out of nowhere. Just these sudden surprises that descend upon us. Everyone's favorite, the pop quiz, right? We love the pop quiz when you walk into class. Well, class, today we're having a pop quiz. The first thing that comes to our mind, that's not fair. Our hands get sweaty, our palms get a a little warm. And the rest of our day can be thrown off by a pop quiz that comes up. A fire alarm goes off in the middle of the night, wakes you out of a a, a dead, restful sleep and thrusts you into utter chaos because you wake up and the alarm's going off and you smell smoke. As I was thinking about examples of this, I I thought about our missionaries, for example, that we have in Indonesia. We're just a few weeks back on October 28th, a 7.5 magnitude earthquake comes through with a tsunami that wipes through parts of Indonesia. Over 5,000 people are killed or injured. Hundreds of thousands are affected with homes wiped out, businesses wiped out. Suddenly, in a moment, priorities have changed. Lives are different. Hope, for a lot of people, becomes questioned. You see, when we focus upon the chaos that events like this bring into our lives, hope can become like a distant reality. It can seem like things are going fine and just great, but then hope just evaporated from the scenario the disciples found themselves in the midst of a sudden chaos where all they can see is the wind and the waves. And that leads to fear and it leads to despair. It leads to them thinking to ourselves, we're not going to make it. There is no hope. And they even turn to Jesus. Jesus is there with them. They even turn to Jesus. But they don't turn out of faith. They don't turn out of a sense of trust. They turn to Jesus out of annoyance. And they say to him, don't you care? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you care what's happening to me? Anyone ever said those words, uttered a prayer similar to that? King David did. It's okay if we have, as long as we don't stay there. Sometimes that's what it feels like. You see, it's common when we see the chaos, this chaotic nature of this randomness of the world, that it can lead to a lack of hope and despair. But that's why Jesus asked them. That's why he says to them, why are you afraid? Why do you have no hope? Why do you have no faith? Why do you have no faith, he says. You see, faith and hope are distinct, but they're connected. There's a connection that exists between them. And we can see this in the concept that we find in Hebrews 11, verse 1, where, where it says that now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. When we talk about faith, we can, it, it, we're not talking here about this blind faith. I would never ask anyone to take a leap of blind faith. That's ridiculous. I would never ask anyone to do that. Sometimes people think that's, that's what religion is. That's what Christianity is. It's not. It's not a leap of blind faith. You see, faith is the intellectual sorry intellectual assent based upon facts that leads us to a point where we need to place trust in something or someone. Here's what this looks like. We can understand faith as, as this gap that exists between evidence and belief. We have evidence? And we have belief, and there's a gap that exists between, that's faith that exists. And this isn't an unfamiliar concept, this happens in the world around us. Just one really brief example. Uh, Last time you went to a restaurant, and you went and sat down at a table and chair there, did you inspect that chair before you sat on it? Did you walk in and grab it and give it a good shake and flip it upside down to check, make sure the screws are all the way in, all the pieces were steady, give it a good shake? Don't give a good test before you sat. No, we walk into a restaurant, they show us to a table, we pull the chair back and you put your entire weight on that chair. In a very, very simple, basic way, that is an act of faith. Now it's not leap of faith because you have some evidence that there's reason to believe that chair is going to hold you. Number one, I go to good quality restaurants that have good quality furniture, there's reason to believe this chair is going to hold me. They have this chair out here that's, that's served other people before I arrived. I didn't see those people. I didn't see them sitting in that chair. But I have reason to believe it was used before I got here. So there's reason to believe that it's going to do it now. We do have some evidence that exists. Some reason to believe. Some reason to go to a point of belief that that chair is going to hold us. But we don't know for certain. We haven't done the inspection ourselves to know for sure. There's enough evidence that exists for us to make a bit of a leap of faith to get to a belief. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Let's <laughs> make sure you're tracking with me okay? <laughs> because we're going to build upon this. So so evidence, there's a leap of faith that leads to belief. And, and we have to do this. We must arrive at belief. We cannot just simply live on evidence alone. We have to arrive at belief because otherwise our world turns to chaos. Why? Because we never sit down anywhere. Think about that. If you never ever went to a point of belief, we, we would never go anywhere or do anything or sit down anywhere. And chaos... What amount? Faith is that gap between evidence and belief. And we have to get to belief. And we all do. Now, when we take that principle, when we apply it to our relationship with Jesus, it begs the question, where does the evidence come in? Well, the evidence comes in in the world around us. And and I, and I can unpack this for probably an hour, but I won't. There's evidence in the creation of the world around us. Creation declares the glory of God. When you study the realities and the wonders of the world, it reveals God. You see his fingerprints all over creation. We see it in in research that happens into literature, into the scriptures and and the documents that prove the authenticity of scripture, and and, in archaeology and history that happens to, to prove what we find in Scripture. We see it through our own life events, the things that happen, and we're faced with these choices. Was that coincidence or is God doing something? We have life events we're forced to make these decisions. We have the testimony of trusted people. There's people around us that we know and respect and we trust, and they have stories and examples that we can look at. These are all different types of evidence that exist to allow us to have some sense of of understanding that there is a God, and he does care, and he is present, and he does love us. Then we need to take this leap of of faith to the point of belief where we believe that he's with us. See, this allows us to believe in God. This allows us to have faith in God and to believe that it is a very reasonable thing. A World famous speaker and one of my favorite apologists, Rabbi Zacharias, says it this way. He says, God has put enough into the world to make faith in him a reasonable thing, but he has left out enough to make it impossible to live by reason alone. He's put enough into the world to make faith a very reasonable thing. But he's left out enough to make it impossible to live by reason alone. You see, faith is the complete trust. It is the complete confidence in something or someone, in this case for our subject matter today, that something is someone is God. Now hope. Hope is built upon faith. Hope is the anticipation that comes from having faith. Hope is a belief in something good that exists. It's the assurance that that something that has been promised, something that is preferable, something that is a better option to what I'm currently experiencing, something that has not happened yet, but I believe and I have faith, I have hope, it will indeed still take place. It is something that is unseen something that is not yet realized, but is a preferred option, a preferred circumstance that is just over the horizon. Consider the example of a father who says to his young son, tomorrow, son, we're going to Disneyland. How does the son react? Well, the boy is just thrilled. He's over the moon with excitement and anticipation to the point where he can't sleep that night because tomorrow we're going to Disneyland. It hasn't happened yet. And if he lived by reason alone, he wouldn't have any reaction, emotional, physiological, or otherwise, until he actually stepped foot in Disneyland. So why does he have this reaction ahead of it actually taking place? Because he believes the Father. Because his Father has proven himself to be true in the past. That when Dad says something's going to happen, he's true to his word. So I have faith. I have evidence to have faith in Dad. And Dad says this thing's going to happen tomorrow, so the result is great joy. Incredible excitement that comes from hope for fulfillment of the promise that the Father has made. See, all of us live by faith. It's not a question if we, if we have faith or not. All of us live by faith. The question comes down to what do you have faith in? What is your faith in? And how you answer that question will determine if it leads you to hope or if it leads you to despair. The disciples had faith in the power of the wind and the waves. And that led them to fear and despair. Jesus had faith in the Father. Jesus had faith to the point where he could sleep through the storm and have no fear, but instead have blessed assurance in the midst of that same situation. Jesus did care if they perished in answer to their question. He did care. He absolutely cared. But he would not allow the circumstances of that immediate moment to steal his hope. He would not allow hope to be stolen by the events that were happening. And so he asked them, why are you so afraid? Why do you still have no faith? Because if they had had faith in Jesus and understand who he is, they would not have lost hope. They still would have had hope amidst the wind and the waves. Because here's the point that we're working towards today. Is that when we are in the boat with Jesus, there is always hope. Even in a world that seems to be drowning in chaos. let am say that again in case you missed it. When we are in the boat with Jesus... There is always hope, even when we are in a world that appears to be drowning in chaos. Because biblical hope is more than just wishful thinking, it's more than unfounded optimism, it's more than a place on the map in BC. It is grounded in trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God's nature and of God's promises. And a second to, to prove this a little bit to you, a little more. When somebody comes forward and makes a, makes a statement in our world, how do we determine the, the truthfulness of it, the, the trustworthiness of it? Well, there's a process that exists in our world. For example, we see this in a court of law where a person comes forward and if we want to test the validity of their evidence or the validity of their testimony of a witness, we have them do two things. Number one, we have them swear an oath. And number two, We have them appeal to one of a higher status. And we see this in a phrase we've probably all heard before. A person goes into the court of law and they raise their right arm and they go, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? That's an oath. And what do they do? With their hand placed upon the Bible, so help you God. I do. They make a solemn oath. Well, appealing to a higher power, the so help you God, hand of the Bible is appealing to the higher power. This is a standard part of our society that is used to determine and to provide backing behind the validity of a person's statement of something that they're testifying of a witness that comes forward. And so, here's the question for you: If truthfulness in the in a human court can be confirmed by such a manner, then as in Hebrews chapter six, starting in verse 16, states, how much more so if God Himself swears an oath? Here's what it says in Hebrews 6. It says, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. That's what we just talked about, that a person makes an oath, And they swear to someone greater than themselves, in this case God, hand of the Bible. And that in our world, in in the world of the Jews in which this book was written, in our world even today, 2,000 years later, this is still the standard practice. You make an oath, you swear to a higher power, and that is taken to put an end to all argument. But then he continues in Hebrews 6. He says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. See, God swore an oath. When we look at the promises of Scripture that we find throughout from cover to cover, when we look at the example of a covenants that exist going through the book of Genesis, and particularly the Abrahamic covenant, where God himself swears an oath, makes a promise, and confirms it upon himself. And then throughout the promise that's made in Jesus Christ, this new covenant that comes through that's made as Jesus sends his son who gives his life to, to seal and make a reality the covenant that came through. God swore an oath. God made promises we find throughout Scripture and through his action in the world around us. And there is no higher power to swear to, so he swears to himself. Therefore saying, I would cease to be God if these promises were ever broken. And who are these promises made to? The promises are made to the heirs, to those who are living their life with God, is who he's speaking to. So that when we are in a relationship with God when we have that personal relationship with him, we're in a relationship with the Father through the work of the Son, that we can take these promises to the bank. We can have confidence that they're sure and that they're true. And since we have this trustworthiness of these promises sworn by an oath of God that is sworn upon himself, then as verse 19 tells us, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. So, whatever's happening in your life, whatever's about to take place in your life, whatever those wind and those waves may look like in your life that leads you to a point of fear, you have hope in something greater. You have hope in this sure and steadfast anchor for yourself, for your soul, for your life. It will allow you to keep your bearings in the midst of the wind and the rain. It will provide assurance that the chaos will not win, because God already has prevailed and already has won. Why? Because when we are in the boat with Jesus, there is always hope, even in a world that seems to be drowning in chaos. I don't know who needs to hear that today. I don't know who it is that needs to hear those words today. I'm going to say it one more time, that... If you are in the boat with Jesus, there is always hope, even in a world that appears to be drowning in chaos. We can see this in Scripture. Think of Joshua, who takes his mantle of leadership and is about to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, this land and these people that had terrified his ancestors and chased them back into the desert. And Joshua's about to step foot. What does God say to him? He says, be strong and be courageous. Do not be afraid. Why? Because I will be with you. Wherever you go, he says to Joshua, you are not in the boat alone. I am with you. Paul, when he is in chains and tied up in prison, he writes. He puts pen to paper and he writes to the church in Philippi. He says, guys, I'm in prison. It might seem like hope is failing, but be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Because God's promises cannot be foiled by man. They cannot be foiled by the wind and the waves. That you can take his promises to the bank. You can stand firmly fixed upon them. When Jesus told his disciples he was about to leave them, he was going to go to the cross and he was going to die, and they were deeply distressed, what did he say to them? He says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world there will be moments of chaos, but he didn't stop there. He said, but take heart. He was telling them, but but have hope. Why? Because I have overcome the world, which is another way of saying I am your anchor, and I am your hope in the midst of these challenges. And he can say these things because when you're in the boat with Jesus, there's always hope, even when the world around you seems to be drowning in chaos. Amen? Amen? So, how do we find it? How do we find this hope when it seems to be lacking? How can we find ourselves in a point where we can hear for ourselves in our own situations peace, be still? Well, I can tell you that it is not a hope that is dependent upon what happens around you. It is not a hope dependent upon the circumstances that happen in your life. It's dependent upon who is in the boat. You see, when we have this life with God, external circumstances around us will change. Things will come and things will go, but the hope can remain. Because Jesus is the anchor. He is the constant throughout all situations. But if we're going to have this, we need to invest in it. We need to make an investment in it. It's not reasonable that we would have hope. It's not reasonable that we would experience God, be able to take that leap of faith to know who he is, to lead us to a belief that leads us to hope. It's not reasonable for that to take place if we don't know him. If we don't know his promises. It's hard to put trust in what you don't know. And that's why we need to steal away from the chaos for moments. When the times are quiet, we need to do the investment. When times start to reel up, we need to make sure we carve out the time to do the investment to reconnect with God, whose hope is for all people. We do this personally, and and I hope you can find a time to do it daily as we find our space and our place to spend time with God. We we find that that space, that physical space where we spend time reading His Word, where we spend time praying and just sharing our hearts and our thoughts with Him on a regular basis, that, that physical space where we look at it and we go, that's where my God time happens. We carve out that physical time on our calendar to make sure it doesn't become an optional, secondary thing. And then we find our place in his story, his story of, of his movement throughout history and what he, what he has done, is doing, and will do in the lives of those who are heirs, who are, who are living a life with him. We can steal away and find our hope when we gather weekly in a place, in a situation such as this, where our weekly gatherings. We're after a hard week. We just need to hit that reset button just need to recalibrate our lives to the story of God, of what he has in store for us as individuals and, and as a greater community, what he's doing in other people's lives. It, it builds us up. It restores. It, it gives us more examples of what he's doing and can do, and it gives us hope that the same can be true in our lives. It's part of the reason when we come together, we sing these songs and we share stories. It's, it, it's to proclaim God's truth. It, it, it's to extend thankfulness to him. It's also to encourage others. It's to say, hey, if you're going through something right now, then the words of this prayer, the words of these songs, the words of this message can can build you up and it can give you that hope as we understand who he is and the difference Jesus makes in a person's life. So we can do it personally. We can do it collectively. We can, we can do it one-on-one with each other as we encourage each other and share stories and testimonies. And if we can do that, then when the wind and the waves come, and they will, the promise of, of Jesus is not that life will be it will be sunshine all the time and calm seas. The promise is that there will be trouble. But we can still have hope. Because hope is in the boat. I want to close with a word of prayer. But as we do that, I just want to ask you this question. Do you need to invite Jesus into your boat? Maybe as you're talking about this and this hope I'm talking about seems like it's a distant reality. And we read back in Mark chapter 4, verse 36, it says, there were other boats on the water. As Jesus and the disciples set out, there were other people who were in the same storms, in the same situations, but they didn't have Jesus in the boat. Maybe you find yourself here today and you say, you know, I've never taken that step of faith. I've never entered into that relationship with him. He's, he's not in my boat. I encourage you to, to chat with, with myself or one of the prayer people at the front following the service here today to talk about what that can look like for you in your life. Or maybe you're saying, I'm in a situation right now, and, you know, my eyes have become too fixed upon the wind and the waves. And I need to get my eyes back on Jesus, upon the source of hope in all situations. If that's the case, I want to pray for you as well. And for those of you maybe going, you know, my seas are pretty calm right now. But there's been times when when they got a little rough, and and my hope wasn't Jesus. Well, I pray that, it is, as it says in First Peter, that we would then have a reason. We'd be able to explain the reason for our hope for those who are around you. And we'd be able to stand firmly fixed upon that and make an example and a testimony for those in our in our lives, for a hope that they can have as well. So where you find yourself, and I just want to give you a moment to uh, just, just quiet here to, to pray amongst yourselves, whatever one or three of those things may be going on in your life. And then I just want to close with a word of prayer. Let's just take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we, we pray for, for those here who are who are just calling out to you right now. Would that, would that be for the first time? For those who have not had a relationship with you, Lord, who are seeking after you. I pray for them, Lord, that we would have a chance to, to connect and to help walk with them forward, understanding the difference that Jesus can make in a person's life and the freedom that comes because of his death upon the cross. God, for those who are here in the midst of a storm, We've all, we've all been through our own storms of different types and situations, Lord. And sometimes it can feel like we're alone, like nobody can understand the storm that I'm in. And, and there's always uniqueness as Father, but may we be a community that gathers around and, and doesn't just simply seek to understand, but seeks to be present in the comfort and to draw one another close to Jesus, that, that we would be uh, just examples and ambassadors of your hope in one another's lives. And God, I pray that in a few moments when we leave this place, and we encounter those out there who, who may not even have heard the name Jesus before, who, who don't know there's a better way, who don't know that life is better with Jesus and that there is a hope that can be found in that life. I pray that we would be powerful examples and witnesses to all of them of, of a hope that does exist and can be theirs, a reality that is just, that is just over the horizon for them. And that we could lead them to, to know you personally, that your kingdom would be built, that your name and your hope would be known throughout this church throughout this community, and throughout Edmonton and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.